Nate, thank you very much for coming on the show, man. I really, really appreciate this. This is awesome. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. This is uh, so... I'm interested to, to, to speak to you. I haven't had the opportunity to speak to a whole load of people that have worked with uh, the younger population. And as someone who grew up uh, through rugby, obviously in the States, you guys have American football. Rugby is kind of our equivalent over here. And I grew up with rugby and, and progressed and played to a very, very, very high level. So I kind of know what the process is like myself. I know a lot of people don't know how it is. And I love being able to connect with people like yourself who have been at the helm of training young athletes um, who are excelling in their careers. Um, and I'm really, really interested to kind of get to, to, to understand kind of your your, your principles and methods in regards to that. I understand you're, you're a big uh, proponent of the conjugate method in terms of training. Um, is this something that you used to work with your athletes at all? Would you work with standard periodization? What kind of stuff were you usually about? Uh, well, I kind of, uh, I stumbled onto the conjugate method when I was playing, um, college football. Uh, we really didn't have a strength coach. So it was kind of like me and a few other guys were always just kind of reading stuff and researching, trying to find, find things out. Um, and we had a guy, we had a football player here in America, uh, Mike Allstott, uh, played fullback for the Buccaneers. And this dude was like 265, but could run like a tailback. Yeah. So, and I, and I played fullback a little bit. So, so my thought process was, what is this guy doing? You know what I mean? And so I was thinking if I train like he does, I can do the shit he does, yeah, which yeah, yeah. doesn't. Yeah. As we come to learn. Truth. Yeah. Isn't, isn't the case at all. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately. Um, so that's kind of how I read. He was uh, training with bands on his squat and stuff. And that's kind of how I stumbled onto the conjugate oh, uh, method. And that was, you know, back early 2000s, and then uh, from there I kind of stumbled onto Elite FTS and found some articles that Dave wrote and stuff. So that was kind of my whole how I kind of stumbled onto the system. And, and as soon as I started using it, uh, I could tell it was it was different. I was feeling better than I had before. You know what I mean? So I didn't really have any results or anything to prove it, but I was like, there's something to this because you just after, know, don't you? In your training. What's that? You just know in your training, like when you get in the gym, you can feel it. Like when you start having those good sessions and you have them on a regular basis, you're like, oh shit, I'm definitely doing something right here. Yeah, absolutely. And it, I, I feel like for me personally, I can tell that stuff pretty early. Like if I try something new, you know what I mean? I feel like, and you get it too, like you train, you, you kind of know whether or not it's bullshit. Or not, yeah, you know? dude, you know, when you've been trained since you're like 12, 13 years of age, you understand your body. I think that's that's the thing. You know, I'm quite young, but even I have the ability to coach people because I understand what the body has to go through in order to achieve those results. I know what that feels like because I've gone through the hardship myself. And if you haven't done that, then you don't really understand. You kind of, you can't gauge one workout to another unless you've been training for a very, very long time. And then you know the variables. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. That's why it's important that we train. You know what I mean, so we understand that. A hundred percent. So, do you uh, did did you have those influences with the bands and chains and stuff? And was that something that you wanted to implement with with younger population? Because I was speaking uh, speaking to another guest um, not too long ago who was kind of talking about the fact that you don't always necessarily want to work with bands and chains with young athletes because they need to progress on the core lifts first. They need to understand how to squat perfectly before they squat with bands and bench, etc., etc. So is that kind of the same principle that you're thinking about with your training and how you're training athletes? 
Um, no. So to me, like as long as the athlete is uh, pretty proficient in the basic movement, you can start putting bands and chains on early as long as it's scaled for their strength level. And that's that's kind of what we did once. So like 10 years after college or whatever, I got into the college sector and was coaching. Um, that's what we would do. So we, it would take like probably a month or so to kind of break them in and get them box squatting correctly and deadlifting and benching and all that stuff. And then we would start putting bands and chains on like as soon as, as soon as, even within a couple of weeks sometimes, cause they would pick it up quick. So like to me, if, if you can do the movement correctly, the coaching cues and how you move aren't that much different when you put the bands and chains on. So why not take advantage of those, those resources? Yeah, a hundred percent. And it's interesting that you kind of said that talking about cues, working with a lot of young people, Often these movements like the squat, the bench, the deadlift, although they look incredibly simple, you know, there's a hell of a lot going on with the movements and there are a thousand and one cues that you can give at any one time for a particular athlete. And obviously every athlete is completely different. And I was actually listening back over to uh, the table talk you did with Dave Tate where you're talking about kind of, you know, if I was to cue this athlete with sitting into your heels and he goes away and he tells all of his friends, you know, this is what Dave says that you have to do that's the cue for that particular person. So it's going to be completely freaking useless when it comes around to, to someone else because they might already sit back into their heels. And if they sit back into their heels anymore, they're too upright and they don't have this and they don't have that. So when you're working with young people, how do you simplify your cues in order to help them? Because it's a lot for young people to kind of uh, learn at one stage. Yeah, um, I think this is an advantage to being kind of a rockhead myself. Like, I have to think to myself first, how would I understand this if I had a bar on my back? You know what I mean? So just keep it real simple. Um, don't try to use any sciencey terms. You know, just like, for instance, like when we bench, one of, the, one of our big ones was punch and squeeze your hands. You know what I mean? So very open your knees. That's, that's it. It should be two to three words. It should be fix one thing at a time. That's kind of... You start throwing two to three different things at a kid while they're squatting, and it turns into a shit show, you know? A hundred percent. Yeah, it, it, and it's funny you mentioned the cueing thing. I've found a lot of times, it's almost like um, like when you learn a new skill, you almost have to overemphasize or overstate things for people to actually get it. So like you said, if this kid goes to his friends and says the same thing, like it's probably not going to work because he's not – they don't see the same thing that you or I would see. You know, it's also what the coaches see it too. But what I found a lot of times, you almost have to overemphasize things for the people to get it. Yeah, you're, t you're taking things to extremes because actually people don't understand that. And when you take it to an extreme, they try and replicate that. But a lot of new people, they will only replicate up until a point of which they feel safe, which for them is actually far less than what we need so by overemphasizing it we actually get them just about to that point but usually not quite there and then we have to work with them to get comfortable in, into those positions which, which brings me around to, to uh the box squat the famous box squat i've heard loads of different uh arguments on both sides of the fence with kind of like long-term athlete development young people should they be box squatting is it compressing too much in the spine is it actually helping them to solidify their hips um which is going to help with a ton of different athletic uh, uh capabilities where do you sit with this so when, when i was coaching we box squatted 99.9 percent .9 of the time um the only time we would really put it in is if a coach, a sporting coach, kind of, you know, demanded it or was really 
really into it. Uh, we would put it in there to kind of keep them happy. Um, uh, if an athlete was real adamant about it, you know, they if, an, if, a, if a kid did a good job and kind of earned the right to have some feedback and say, hey, I feel better free squatting, can we do, you know, then we would put those things in. Um, but to me, it's just, it's so much simpler to teach. It's so much easier to recover from. It, I think it really helps keep the knees healthy. Um, if you can stay back and keep a vertical shin. Uh, we had, in the teams that I worked, that worked directly under me, we had one ACL tear in 10 years. Um, now, to be fair, I didn't I, I didn't work with football that whole time, so that doesn't include football. Okay. But, I mean, there is wrestling in there, and you know what I mean? Um, it's just, to me, like, to me, they're not a power lifter, so they don't have to free squat. Who cares? Like, I don't care what they squat. I know if they train right and do the things right, they're going to get stronger and they're going to be better. You know, the only reason we, we tested Max's was so the kids and coaches could see him. I didn't, I didn't give a shit, really. It's so funny that, isn't it? It's, it's, it's a case of that it's never it's never necessarily the coach that wants to see what the 1RM potential is. It's always the kid or it's always someone that wants to, you know, put that number into a spreadsheet. It's like, okay, well, actually, realistically, it doesn't matter. If they can move the weight, they can move the weight. And if they're doing it efficiently, then they're doing, doing a good job and they're doing what they should be doing. We shouldn't really be worrying about numbers too much. So that's interesting. So with the, obviously, you talk about the fact that it's a lot easier to recover from. Now, for for young kids that are playing, you know, I mean, I was when I was at my my peak with with my rugby, I was training five times a week and playing on another day, and I would have one day off, and I'd have two two gym sessions, a sprint session, to, uh, and then would have technique and train sessions out on the field. So you know, the body is just beaten up and jacked up, and I was like 16, 17 years of age, and I'm I'm there at college with scholarships with guys that are having like full-on knee replacement surgeries at 17 18 years of age and it's just absolutely crazy so i'm really really keen to get onto this whole idea of you know should more strength coaches be taking out your freestanding squat and replacing it with something like the the box squat and what are these huge benefits that we're getting from it compared to our standard freestanding squat yeah that that was my thought i think for whatever reason we have this idea that uh, harder is better, which, and you have to train hard, but like anytime I would bring up the advantage to the advantages, like a lot of times, not anytime I'd bring up the advantages of a box squat to a sport coach. They were almost turned off when I said, well, it's easier to recover from. It doesn't beat your kids up so bad. You could see like they did not like that because they want their kids to be tough and hard. And, you know, this is supposed to be fucking hard. It's just like, Dude, we can still get them strong. They will still get fast. They will feel better on game day. I, you know, you would still get pushback from it. It was amazing. Yeah, it's crazy. And you feel like you're actually going to get more, like a higher level of feedback from a broader range of athletes. You know, when you look at sports teams, there are always going to be those kids that are going to go balls to the walls no matter what. And there are also on the other end of the spectrum going to be a lot of kids that, you know, have natural talent and ability or maybe they've done it for, for a long time. And they don't necessarily have that work ethic of, you know, I'm just going to be busting my balls 24-7, 365 because they're just not programmed like that. So I think that way you're probably going to be getting more out of more athletes, right? Absolutely. And that's, that's kind of like with the whole system, I always thought the way it was set up, we kind of achieved that with it. Just um, it's like the movements for the most part that are popular are pretty simple. You're going to train the muscle groups in the areas you need to train without 
without having to put too much emphasis on the weight room. I know that sounds kind of weird, but yeah, no. I always say, if I'm, you know, I'm going to cut out a tree. I'm going to use a chainsaw, not a steak knife. Like to me, it was just very efficient, very easy to put in place. Um, and even like you mentioned, the kids that aren't real motivated, we still saw great progress from them. And we didn't have to be like militant assholes in the weight room either. Like we need to work out up and then, you know, we would change all the time and the kids come in and train and for the most part, we could just coach. Yeah. You know, so it was weird how a lot of things kind of took care of themselves. You know, I, I don't know exactly what that is, but I kind of attribute it to the system. Yeah, and it's nice as well because obviously from kind of a strength coach standpoint, obviously you're only at, a, at kind of like college level, you're only getting to work with these kids for X number of years. You know, this isn't a pro team where you're having guys that are potentially on the roster for kind of five, six, seven season and you're getting really long-term progression with them. You're getting... You're receiving them as a, as a semi kind of put together adult. They have their own views. Their body is already starting to form in certain ways. They've probably already got some really shit technique from doing stuff by themselves before they've come to you. So, you know, you've got very limited period of time to be able to take these athletes, turn them into, to, to, to bring all the full potential out of them and then kind of let them go on and blossom them themselves. So what other uh, kind of... I don't know, hack exercises like you're doing with a box squat. Do you have like a, a variation for the bench? Obviously, the, the, there's a lot of uh, skepticism around deadlifting in the weights room, especially at like D, D1. You see a lot of people that are replacing this with kind of a lot more posterior chain work, snatches, cleans, things where you can't load anywhere near as more maximally. What are your kind of hacks in that? Um, deadlift was one that we had to kind of be careful with um like we didn't do it with everybody we we kind of kept that one for our groups that were more motivated and more focused um if, if a group couldn't then you can always do an rdl that's pretty easy to teach and is this um, conventional deadlift by the way or is this like more. a hex bar um i didn't we didn't use hex bars a lot of times what we would so our deadlift progression would we would start out and teach them uh just with the people so it would be light, sub-maximal weight. Sometimes we would do it off pins with longer athletes, so they'd have to squat down so far. Um, and then we would teach them using speed reps and sets to do a sumo deadlift. And then once once they got the hang of that and they were pretty good with it, then we could start progressing heavier. Um, and then so probably about after a month, we would start doing some conventional stuff too. And the reasoning was they were pretty bad with their feet being out wide. So we gave them like a month or whatever to kind of get used to that. And once they Is got that just general it, weakness in the hips because they're underdeveloped at that age or what? Yeah, that's the biggest thing. People say mobility and this and that. Most of it's because they're just piss weak. They're not used to having their feet out there, so they can't handle it. Yeah, they don't have that abduction strength. So that, that was those on, on yeah. yeah, and then and even to regress even further than RDLs, like we didn't RDL a lot, you know, maybe once a week. Our other go-tos for posterior chain would be reverse hyper back raise, um, single leg back raise, you know, and then obviously the the knee flexion offers too. But. Yeah, it's amazing. So obviously the the reverse hyper is I feel like something that is uh, it has become almost common knowledge over uh, in the states. You guys seem to have them in almost any gym where anyone's lifting anything half decent. 
I feel like it's it's an area that no one really speaks about that much, especially kind of this side of the pond, so to speak. I feel like there's yeah. there's there's so much benefit to it, and I've done it myself, and it's frustrating because I'm at a gym where I don't have a reverse hyper, so I'm trying every experimentation under the sun to try and replicate the the, the same movement. But yeah. you know, it's it's one of those things where you kind of you do really need that decent bit of kit to be able to get you know the full benefit. Yeah, it might have something to do with shipping and handling. It costs a lot to get that shit over there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's uh, no, it's but like, like, I used to have uh, low back problems, um, and I, I never got M- imaging done or anything, but I'm pretty, like, I'm pretty sure if I didn't get on reverse hypermore, I wouldn't be training anymore. Um, and once I started doing that two or more times a week, my issues started to really, within a couple months, it, it really helped, so. And is that we, body we, weight? Is that weighted? Is that resistance band? What are you doing there? Weighted. I was on an actual machine, an actual reverse hyper. Um, and then, so from then on, like our athletes did it twice a week, at least once a week. But most of the times we would do like a heavy day where we would take like, uh, and this is, I think I heard this from Louis somewhere around 75% of your squat max and then hit four sets of 20 with it. And so that was our heavy day. And then on our lighter day, we would maybe cut down in half or so, or about half. And we might do four sets of 30, four sets. We worked, we, some groups would go up to four sets of 60. So we were doing a lot of volume. Yeah. but the thing is yeah but it's recuperative so it's not it's not like a, you do that with a squat you're gonna kick the shit out of yourself but that's almost restorative at the same time that's crazy so that there's there's so much glute development going on there like the posterior chain is just so strong so do you think that that's like a missing link with a lot of people that their glutes just aren't strong enough because there's no way that your glutes can't get ridiculously strong if you're doing sets of Four sets of 60 on anything, even just body weight, man. That's a glute pump yeah. from hell. Yeah. yeah, yeah, Yes, that's a huge area of that people are missing. You know what I mean? Like, and I don't know. I, I think a lot of people program too many just big exercises. They think you have to squat, RDL, lunge, everything, compound movement within a workout to make progress. But, you know, at some point, you've got to kind of target those muscle groups that you're going after. Just make it simple. Make it simple for the athlete. You know what I mean? Like, you can't, it's like you said, you can't do four sets of 60 and not have your glutes smoked. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know? So that was kind and, of. And would you, uh, would you say that something like that, obviously, if you're going to do 60 repetitions, you're going to have to go much lighter weight. Are you going to gain more benefit from that from, let's say, like a, a heavy hip thrust or something? Because I see like a lot of people are now kind of using glute, glute uh, development through hip thrust. And there are various different hip thrust machines. But from what I've experienced, obviously, that's going to be putting pressure through your back unless your technique is perfect. And I myself, I can even find that, you know, I can load up to 220, 240 in hip thrust for kind of sets of 8 to 10. It's fine. But I know if I catch it a mil wrong... Then my back's like, Ooh. yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. If you don't have a reverse hyper, there's you got to find other ways, you know. But um, if you can't, if you, that's why I liked it because it was it was safe. It's hard to screw up, you know what I mean. And um, and we didn't we didn't start there. So like, let's say we had a team who had never. There's a lot of teams that have never done that before. Reverse hyper. Let's say maybe women swimming. So, week one might. Instead of what I just talked about, would probably look like 
a 25 on each side of the reverse hyper, which is really easy, and they might do three sets of 15. And then over the course of weeks, we'll build them up to be used to that, that volume. But once we got up there, that was kind of like their standard. That was kind of the standard thing. You know, we'd back them down. Are you warming up with that? Is that like a finisher? Is this kind of mid-workout? Where are you putting that? <laughs> um, so our four, our, work, our four work sets, like I talked about, that was kind of mid-workout. That was usually probably the third or fourth movement. So like a typical lower body, um, just a lift. So I'm not talking about jumps or anything. We do like our, our big movement, max effort or speed work. And then our next movement would be another big barbell movement, the supplementary. So the reverse hyper would probably be the next one or the one after that. And that would be the four sets. But a lot of times we would use reverse hyper or back extension to warm up too. So we would do two sets of 20 lighter at the beginning of the workout before they did any jumps or anything to help warm up and get get blood to where we were going to train. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sounds, so, sounds, yeah, sounds. I mean, some days we yeah, we could be doing like six sets of reverse hyper. Yeah, 100%. So you kind of, with what you've said there in terms of how you're structuring the sessions and kind of with the mix of maximum and dynamic, obviously you're changing your loads, you're changing your volume, you're, you're fluctuating it a lot. Is, uh, is that another way that you're just keeping that recovery rate like nice and steady? You're not overloading it too much? Do you feel like that there are a lot of strength coaches that are actually putting too much emphasis on strength? Which sounds a bit crazy, but... Uh, yeah, I'm, I want to be careful with that because I, <laughs> I think we're at a place now where we're not seeing enough emphasis on strength. But I... Um, I know what you're saying. I think there's a better way to go about it. You know what I mean? Um, just, just by picking your movements. Uh, well, that's interesting. I want to hop on and kind of go into what you say there. So, so, so when you say you don't feel like there's enough strength being done, what, what do you mean by that? Is that is this kind of like you, not enough maximal stuff, or people aren't working to their true RPEs, or what is it? Yeah, yeah part of that, I. You know, basketball is a sport that I kind of, I feel like is, is going in this direction, especially like we get into this functional stuff and not that that stuff's bad or like prehab stuff or, or kind of, I hate the word sport specific, but you know, there's, there's, should be some of that in your training, but when your entire training goal leans towards one thing too much, you're in trouble. And I think that's kind of where we're headed. And I think it's, there's not much importance on maximal strength anymore. Just getting fucking strong, building big, strong, freaky athletes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, no, I love that because because that's that's such a brilliant point, and you're seeing it more and more every day on platforms like Instagram. You know, you're getting people doing these weird, quirky, functional things that stabilizes this and helps with structural development of that. Blah 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 blah. It's like, yeah, your structural development is good, but if you can't squat body weight, then what's the fucking point of you doing it anyway? Absolutely, absolutely. Not everybody has to be like your athlete shouldn't be a world record squat holder. Like that's not what I'm saying. But they should be an ass kicker. But yeah, you know as I mean? an athlete, you should be proficient at, at moving weight, regardless, because that's it's going to help you with your motor pattern function. It's going to help you with greater activation. You're gonna just you're gonna bring out so much more of your own potential. It kind of seems silly 
not to do that. So, so what do you think that uh, kind of the industry needs to see more of then? Do, do you think that we need to kind of take maybe a step back from this uh, kind of prehab, rehab, mobilize, develop, balance, and just go back to can you squat, bench, and deadlift or overhead press to these parameters? Yeah, I think there needs to be a little, probably a little more of that. Yeah, and, you know, make sure, like you talked about, make sure the movement's proficient. That has to be there first. And then just, just like, getting real strong will fix 90% of your problems. You know, and not to say you should take that other stuff out of the program, but, you know, it's like uh, making a meal. Don't, what's, what's your steak and potatoes? That should be your main course. That should be your strength. Stop worrying so much about the fucking cupcakes at the end. It's brilliant. A note I literally have here in my show notes is, is, is talking about the emphasis on like side orders to your main meal and how, you know, we're, we're worrying too much about what all of these like accoutrements to the meal is, but we're not actually worried about what we're actually here to do and get done, which is, it's a really interesting point that you bring up. So, um, in terms of uh, kind of uh, bringing your athlete development up with, with the, the guys that you're getting to work with, is your stuff, uh, are you forced into more of a periodization approach because you have uh, kind of closed seasons? It's not necessarily like powerlifting where, you know, you can, you, you can program for a meet at any point of the year. These guys, you know, they're going to be playing in the summer term this sport and then maybe they're not playing so much of this in the summer term, and in the winter term they're turning to this or this or this. Uh, we so we didn't periodize a whole lot. I hate I hate doing long drawn out training plans. Um, what we would basically do when we got them in there, see where they were at, and kind of meet them there, and then we'd gradually bring them along. Um, obviously, if we were in season, we would back things down. You know what I mean? Um, the only time we would peak would be like, say for nationals or a big conference meet, we would start working eight to 12 weeks back from that and then work them into a peak. Um, but yet we didn't, we would just kind of see where they were at and just try to keep progressing along. We yeah, really I, didn't have a lot of, you know, I love that. Stuff. And it seems to be kind of uh, a trending factor with a lot of higher end coaches that it's, it's very much every answer becomes, well, it depends you know, it's 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 a case of okay, well, these athletes today are primed and ready to be able to do squats. These athletes are so jacked up that they can't do squats. So why the hell would we make everyone do squats? Because I'm only going to get 15% of my team being able to reach maximum potential. So when you do that, when are you finding that out? Is this something you're finding out in the warm up? Are you talking to your athletes? Are you saying, hey guys, look, what's jacked up? Where are you struggling? What where are you feeling pain? Yeah, usually, you know, when they come in the room, you can kind of see where, where their mood is, how they're acting. Um, I always used um, what I would call my indicator kids, the kids that come and work hard and do what they're supposed to do. Um, we would get their feedback and see what they were thinking. Um, like, to me, if, you aren't, like, if you're not doing the work, your feedback doesn't matter because it skews the whole thing. Like, you haven't done shit. Of course, you're going to feel good. You know, of course, you're going to feel <laughs> fine. So we would kind of go by the kids that worked hard. Um, but that, that's really how we did it. Uh, and we would like, not to say we would plan. So like from a periodization standpoint, we would kind of wave volume in and out and stuff to make sure they were recovered. Um, you know, we would try to creep their volume up and build their work capacity and stuff, but 
that from a periodization standpoint, that was about it. Well, that's cool. So, do you, are you uh, are you a believer that kind of the the ideals behind conjugates? So, not necessarily kind of your original conjugate, but everyone can make their own adaptations to conjugate. And I'm sure there are thousands of people that have asked you what adaptations you make to to, to your your version of conjugate because everyone's I feel is slightly different at this stage. Do you feel that that is far more beneficial for these younger athletes than what we've seen where we're just kind of crunching numbers, we're putting kids through the system, you have to hit X this week and Y on that week or you're not kind of up to standards? That's To me, that's one of the biggest advantages. Like, for Max, example, for Max Effort Method, they just come in and lift what they can lift that day. So it takes into account all their outside stressors, all the all this other bullshit they got to deal with and they just push hard for what they have that day. And then they go do their accessory work. Whereas if I'm working off of a predetermined max, like you and I both train. So we damn well know, like let's say I squatted 800 in my last meet. Mm. I can't work off that 800 all the time because that 800 is on that day. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like three months away from that, I may be 50 pounds ahead of that. I may be 50 pounds of all out. And then like, they don't like to train anyways, you know what I mean? So, like, to, like to me, I love to train. But if I know I have to go in and do the same movement every week, I start to dread it. I don't want to train. So, like, for an athlete whose number one priority is not training, that's why switching the exercises up, I think, was is a huge advantage. So, like, to me, I'm obviously biased, but, like, the whole conjugate thing with athletes just makes total sense. Yeah, 100%. And at the end of the day, you know, if – if you have experience in the field with using this and you have seen the results for yourself firsthand, you know it's not bullshit. You know it works and you can see in your athletes' faces how they're feeling, what their performance is. And if it's a case of that, you know, they're coming back from games and they're, they're convincingly winning games and they're coming into training on like kind of the Monday and the Tuesday and they're like, you know what, coach, I'm not feeling too beaten up. You're like, well, dude, my job here's done because this is what we want. We want you to be feeling a thousand percent all the time it, it's physically impossible so we'll we'll take you know half of that and then just keep on going and just keep on growing and keep on getting stronger and keep on getting faster yeah and that's where you'll get buy-in too because they'll start to understand you're trying to help them and not just beat the shit out of them in the weight room and then they'll start training harder yeah well it's interesting because I, I mean I, even, I know you know, I sit down with friends now and we, we look back at the, the old strength coaches and stuff that we've had. And man, they used to evoke fear like nothing else I've ever had in my entire life. I think, oh man, I've got I've got a weights training session with Nick Reese this Wednesday and all of a sudden I'll be like, heart's palpitating, I'm getting sweaty. I'm like, oh man, <laughs> I just know I'm, I'm not walking out of that room. And it just, oh man, it scared the crap out of me. But then like I'd walk out and I feel good because I was hungry for it and I did well that day. And But yeah, 100%. I think there, there's a lot of that, that kind of fear ap- approach to a lot of this training where we're going, well, who are we trying to be afraid of? Like we're all on the same team here. We're trying to get fucking strong together. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's weird. And it, like you uh you mentioned the fear thing. Like I had a I had a sport coach one time. She wanted her kids to think I was crazy. And, like she wanted she's like, just kick somebody out. I don't care who it is, just pick someone and kick I don't care if they're doing anything wrong, kick them out. I need them to think you're crazy, you know. 
But I go, Coach, you're doing a great job. Your girls are, like, they're killing it. I don't, she's like, I don't care. They need to fucking think you're crazy. It's like, okay. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. That's like <laughs> oh that, that, that's one way to, to ruin the entire team's kind of balance, yeah, or respect for coaching staff or anything. You're like, yeah, that's that's insane. You're jeopardizing your entire season for what? Like, that extra 2% that you might get out of someone because they're scared. It's like, no, man, inspire someone. Yeah. Yeah, it's, I don't know, it's, it's that old school, you know, mentality, it's weird. Yeah, yeah, 100%. So, how, I, I find it interesting, because obviously, you know, with things like social media out there, everyone has access to so much more information now, so you're, you know, we're seeing, you know, the level of athlete is becoming much, much higher now, if we look back now to kind of where the kids coming out of college are now, compared to kind of 20, 30, 40 years ago, with the knowledge that we have, it's quite incredible, but I also feel, and I mean, this might just be me personally, but I feel like a lot of younger people are looking at kind of videos online, coaches, fully grown adults that are hitting these lifts, and they are wanting to train like adults, and I want to kind of touch on the point of, do you feel like that the, these younger guys should be training like adults, and if not, why, and what should they be doing differently? Um, I think it's like for younger athletes, I think it's okay to push hard. Um, I think maxing can be done within reason. I think the, the, the problem comes in is when they're not technically sound. That's when you're going to get fucked up. Um, I think another dangerous thing is, um, and I even fell into this a little bit myself uh, <laughs> with social media. Um, I got to a point where when I was, uh, kind of at my height of my strength, you know, I would see these guys do stuff and I'd kind of get that, fuck that guy, I can do that. You know what I mean? So it, it would turn into a situation where I was pushing myself. I was pushing too hard when I didn't need to. You know what I mean? You see that 30-second clip, oh, this guy benches 600 all year round. That's not necessarily the truth. So you want it's good that you want to compete with that, but if you have your foot on the gas all damn year long, get into some trouble. So I think those, you know, I think it's, I think seeing those things is, is very cool because I think it's starting to raise strength everywhere very quickly because it's like the six minute mile thing or whatever, like once or five minute mile, whatever, as soon yeah. as a guy ran it, more and more people started doing it. So I think people are seeing freaky stuff being done and they realize it can be done, but you also, you got to be patient. You know what I mean? So it's kind of a double-edged sword. It can go both ways. 100%. I love that. And that is a point that I, that I desperately, desperately want to get onto. Patience. Young people and patience are two things that we understand do not go hand in hand. Kids want things. They want to be the best, the fastest, the strongest, the fittest. They want to be D1 tomorrow. And people need to understand that it just does not happen overnight. So... For, for you, what do you like to do to kind of get those people to slow the process down and to kind of, you know, slap yourself, get out of this? This is your journey. That's their journey. It's just, it's just a process. And like I said before, it's good that they want that because that's what's going to push the limits. Um, but like with my athletes, it was always just like they would get pissed off because they didn't PR on a certain lift at a certain time of year. Or, you know, what you know, they were they were down 20 pounds on whatever lift that we might have picked that day. It's like, who cares? 
you know, you got to kind of, you had a meet yesterday. You, you threw a shot yesterday and then traveled eight hours home and then you're in here today lifting. You're probably not going to PR. It doesn't matter. You know what I mean? The, the big thing is you came in and pushed hard for today to kind of keep yourself going. That's the big, it's, it's just constant communication and kind of reel them in and bring them back to, bring them back to earth, I guess. Hundred percent. So, how much when you're when you're coaching these kids, how much cover time a week are you getting with them to to, to kind of uh, get into their ears and get into their heads and kind of telling them this sort of stuff? Uh, a couple of. I mean, you get a few hours. You get at least an hour at the training session. That's three to four times a week, and then um, we always had like our weight room was kind of. Um, just kind of open, you know, kids would come in and hang out, you know, between classes and stuff like that. So like kids, I let kids use my office, you know, they would store all their, they had all the throwers, chucks in there and shit like that. So we got quite a bit of FaceTime, honestly, you know, it was, was, we had a lot of um, teams would float. So like we had scheduled teams, but even if there was a team training, kids would walk through and stuff. So you get quite a bit. It's nice, yeah, because it kind Plus of. Plus, Yeah, yeah, yeah. That and that—that's the thing, isn't it? It's—it's it's almost like it's a community, and I think that's that's such a big thing with teams is that when teams are kind of like that and they have the ability to spend lots of time together, they can kick back, they can relax, they can chill out, then they can go out, they can work together, they can sweat together, they can get better together, and then they can go out and they can play together. It changes the relationship of the team, man. A hundred percent, like everyone. I'm sure because everyone goes through that hardship together and everyone fucking struggles and everyone sucks and everyone's breathing out of their ass in training, because you've gone through it all together, you know what it feels. So it's like everyone has this weird camaraderie and connection, right? Yeah, definitely. And that, that's like that's another reason strength coaches to train. Just so your, your kids or your athletes understand that you get it, you know? Not to say you have to do exactly the same stuff they do or whatever, but... If they know that you're training and trying to try to hit a goal or something, and they see that every once in a while, I, I think that'll help with the buy-in. Because, you know, how many how many times when you were a young athlete and your coach was making you run your ass off, did you think to yourself, "I'd like to see your fat ass out here doing it"? You know oh, what I mean? oh, that was so if you're yeah. training, I think <laughs> every damn time. You're like, "Let's go, fat ass, come run." <laughs> Yeah, there was, there was always a strength coach there. would always force us to do pull-ups. And he would only always demonstrate one pull-up with just really shitty form because you just knew that he couldn't do them. And he's standing there going, come on, come on, Grant. We're doing sets of 10 today. And I'm like, motherfucker, you can't even do two. How are you allowed to tell me to do 10? <laughs> yep, yep. I think every athlete's had that. <laughs> Yeah, I think there's there's a lot of that kind of like leading from the front. I think is is something that that is a big thing. You know, if if the kids are aspiring to be more like you, uh, you know, in the gym and and kind of taking on board your core values, not only do you get that connection, but I also think you have the opportunity to really impact on uh, on on these young kids that obviously at, at an age where they're they're really developing and they're really kind of trying to find their own core values, not only just with their life, but with training as well and how training feels for them, which, you know, for, for anyone that has trained for a long time or has played sports, you know, it's just kind of in your blood and you can't like, I know there'll never be a time where I'm not training because I just, it's my life now. I want to do it forever, but you have to find out what works for you. Right. So I think that, that yeah. that's nice yeah. that you get that time. Like, and like you can find 
You there still? Yep. Okay. I thought it cut out for a second. My <laughs> so, um, you know, when you look back now at how you kind of train now with all the adaptations that you've made over the years with your style of conjugate, and you look back at how you used to train when you know when you were playing ball and you were training really really hard do you think that you being able to carry that training back would have developed your career much further do you feel like you definitely could have got more out of what you were doing if you were using the training style that you're using now that's adapted to your body now back then or do you feel like you kind of you can kind of rest rest your hat and say you know what i've done everything that i could have done there um, I probably would have been an NFL all pro had I trained this way. <laughs> Joke. Um, no, you know, I, I've done that. Um, I think I did everything I could cause it, it was all I knew. You know what I mean? If I, now if I would have known better, I think I could have done better. I think it definitely would have helped. Um, you know, and I always go back to box squats. Like I was kind of a tight, my hips were kind of tight and kind of inflexible, person you know athlete or whatever <clears throat> had i known how to train and kind of train like i think it definitely would have opened my hips up i probably wouldn't have had the back problems i had probably in that in turn probably would have made me a little faster yeah. a little more mobile you know what i mean so i i definitely wish i knew then what i know now but i can't you know what i mean i i feel you know for knowing what i knew i feel like i did everything i could yeah yeah that's yeah that's such a wonderful way of putting it you know and i i I look back and i kind of think well especially with kind of my my rugby career that that was that was kind of the the case too you know you kind of give everything you can but if you were to have an opportunity to go back and do it all again with the knowledge that you have now jesus would things be different and i like i think back to when i was when i was doing my uh i I trained with a professional academy in their kind of their long-term athlete development program right up into the age of 18 before you sign on for the pro team um, and I remember when I was when I started hitting the gym with them and their strength coach at kind of the age of thirteen, like really getting into it. You know, everyone else was barbell squatting for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks before I could. So I'm six foot eight. I grew very very quickly when I was like sixteen years of age. I was like six foot seven, six foot seven and a half. Like I was very very tall for my frame, and I just did not have the skeletal muscle structure. So I couldn't sit upright in a squat. I couldn't open my hips out. I was super immobile in my calves because I'm playing rugby like five times a week and my calves are all jacked up. So I think right now and I'm like, man, if, if only I had the ability to be able to box squat back then, I probably would have been squatting a lot faster than these other guys. So it's like, oh man, it's so interesting to think about those things going back. Yeah, it's interesting. Like <clears throat> that's another kind of trend we're on to is like the ankle mobility and squatting. So like, why not just box squat? You don't have to worry about ankle mobility. Yeah, because you know I mean? your shin's going to be perpendicular. So it takes the whole, and you're still developing glutes and hamstrings. To, in my opinion, even more so because you're keeping the knee back. So you're loading glutes and hamstrings more. You know what I mean? So you know, it just makes sense. We had in the ten years we had like not that we didn't have kids that weren't great box squatters. We might have had like five kids that just couldn't do it. You know, like one kid comes to mind was a, he was a basketball player. He was literally seven feet tall and he had never lifted before. Oh, jeez. And I remember, like the one day he got, he got pinned with 95 pounds and it was just, he, he hadn't done it. You know what I mean? His, his adductors were super weak. He just, 
but within a few months, he was up around 200 pounds or so because he kind of got it, and we, you know, you kind of meet them where they're at and then let him get good at something, and everything kind of takes off. It's, you know, just super simple, really. Yeah, and that's the thing, isn't it? It's like for, for everything that you do, there is always there's always one person that will go against everything that you believe. You know, if you coach, coach the, this in one way, and you go and you just you know there's always going to be that one person that you just go wait how how are you genetically made up in that way that you can't get this and you you know your hip socket's too deep or you don't have the the mobility in that or you have too much mobility in that which sometimes is another massive issue we talk about mobility but also you know too much mobility if these kids are coming in and they're, and they're hyper hyper mobile jesus christ for a strength coach that's like red flag central like we 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 want to be so ridiculously safe you want to chuck black and black and yellow tape around everything and make sure that it's cordoned off because you're like oh man you're 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 one bad leg leg press away from a trip to a and e my friend yeah we had a kid uh we had a girl dislocate her kneecap getting out of a back extension machine didn't she didn't hyperextend her knee or anything she was just getting out and her freaking kneecap slipped off to the side and I was in the room, and I hear she's saying, help, help. And I look over, I'm like, oh, great, she's got a hamstring cramp or whatever, you know. So I walk over, I'm like, what's going on? And her fucking kneecap off on the side of her leg. <laughs> she's like, something's wrong with my knee. You're like, yeah, I'm pretty but sure it's not meant to be like, facing like that way. <laughs> I was like, oh, shit, <laughs> sit down. <laughs> but just hypermobile. She had had it happen in high school once before where it just slid off. So I was like, holy shit. Yeah. But, yeah, there's always something. Yeah, a hundred percent. So, um, listen, I wanna, I wanna kind of wrap this up, and I always wrap, wrap up in, in in the same way. And I'm very interested to kind of hear what you have to say. I want you to imagine for a second that you're taking a trip back in time, and you're kind of you're visiting yourself, it, you know, a much much younger version of yourself, kind of 10, 12, 13 years of age. If you look back on everything that you've achieved, where you are today, and the progression that you've made throughout your career, undoubtedly you've done phenomenal things and you've worked with some amazing people and you've achieved some fantastic things. What bits of advice, you know, what mantra, a quote, whatever it is, would you give to your younger self to help you get through to where you were to where you are today? That's some deep shit. <laughs> uh, probably, probably don't talk yourself out of stuff. You know, right. I think I'm, there's probably times where I had a good idea or was going to try to do something or, and then you talk yourself out of it, like, oh, it's not going to work or, you know, that's, you know, what's so-and-so going to say about that? Just yeah. if you fucking want to do something, just fucking do it. Fuck everyone it. else. Yes, 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 yes. There's far too much bearing on what anyone, what everyone else thinks in in people's lives that I think holds them back from just the most ridiculous things. You know, people can achieve amazing things and they have the ability to, but it's just that one little, you know, that one negative thought compared to the 1,199 others. That negative thought cancels all of those out. So yeah, I think dude, right. I love that. Yeah, screw what everyone else thinks. You got to do you. I love that. Man, thank you so much for coming on board. I have absolutely loved this. I could sit here and literally chat to you all day. This is awesome. I hope you get to do it again sometime. Um, I'll make sure that all of your social media and everything is in uh, the show notes. But, man, Nate, thank you very much for coming on board, man. Thanks for having me, Ed. We appreciate it. Thank you, dude.